Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, Ryan Brown of WJOX in Birmingham joins again. We talk a lot of uh, Nationals. He's the only Nationals fan that I know. The Washington Nationals have a two-games-to-none lead in the World Series, headed into Game 3 in Washington on Friday night. Ryan's been a Nationals fan forever. And so we talk about the World Series, about fandom, we also talk some SEC football, Alabama, LSU, Auburn. A lot of Ole Miss at the end. You want to hear it? His thoughts on Ole Miss, his thoughts on what he thinks the Rebels should do as it pertains to Matt Luke, what he thinks about uh, some of the rumors about Pete Golding down the road, that kind of thing. So we'll get to a lot of football, a lot of Major League Baseball as well. But first, let me tell you about Crystal the Oxford Crystal on Highway 6 West in Oxford. It is uh, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. And right now you can go to the uh, Crystal and get the new Nashville Hot Chick. It's part of the Pick 5 for five fifty-five. They also have the Scrambler Breakfast Bowls as well. And they still have $1 all day, every day, Sprite, slushies, all the different flavors. You'll love it. Perfect way to get started on your uh, football weekend, your Major League Baseball weekend, whatever the case may be. NBA has started now, so there's a lot to get to, and uh, Crystal's a good way to uh, fill up, enjoy your weekend, going to be a lot of rain in the forecast here in uh, Mississippi and probably all over the south, so go grab some, uh, grab a sack full of Crystals, hang out at home, watch your favorite team play here on the Ole Miss Open Date. We're also brought to you by, uh, I should first tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call the number, ask for Corey Clark. You know the deal. Corey will hook you up uh, with a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. And my advice to you is take the quote, get in that Ford vehicle. You'll love it. You'll love the product after the sale as well. Uh, 662-257-1900. We're also brought to you by LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. 662-259-2999 is the number. Get in touch with Greg Jones, the people there at LB's. Tell them what you want. They'll have it ready for you. Or do what I do, which is go in and shop, browse around. I hate to even tell you guys about this because it was so incredibly good. But about a week ago, I went in and I, I wanted a pork chop. Greg said, have you ever had the two-bone chop? And I said, no. And he said, he cut me a couple of the two-bone chops. I seared them on my big green egg, and then I put them in a cast-iron skillet, put that in the oven at about 300 degrees, let it cook to the uh, optimal temperature, about 150 degrees internal. Absolutely the best pork chop I've ever had. So my advice to you is go in, give Greg some ideas. He'll tell you not only what you want, but how to cook it. He'll take great care of you. And then tell him that you heard about it here on the beer garden and he'll throw a few extra things in your sack. Highly recommend the chicken jalapeno sausage. Now you guys don't go take all this stuff because I'm going this weekend. So don't, don't go steal it all, but they've, they've got great stuff there. You'll love it. Freshest cuts, uh, seafood from the Gulf, everything you could want. Greg is a great guy. He'll take great care of you. I've been, uh, 
a customer for a long time. Once you give it one shot, you will become one too. That's LB's Meat Market in Oxford. It's right across from uh, Kroger. We are also brought to you by Community Mortgage. Community Mortgage is uh, located, excuse me, in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. It's more than 30 years old. It's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you are getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford markets. Ask Jason about community mortgages float down option, which allows you to lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. It's JLO, J-L-O-W-E, at communitymtg.com. Now, without further ado, here's Ryan Brown of WJOX in Birmingham. Take a listen. Ryan, welcome into uh, the podcast. As always, it's fun to have you here. It's uh, it's a little a little more fun uh, as we're taping this on. It's on Wednesday, uh, no Thursday, late afternoon. The uh, your Washington Nationals have a two games to none lead in the World Series. If I had told you, I don't know, middle of May. If I had told you that, hey, we're, we're going to tape a conversation in October and I'm going to lead off with the Nationals have a two games to none lead in the World Series, you would have said what? Uh, not a chance and you know where. Um, I mean, for a lot of reasons. Number one, keep in mind, this was a franchise that never advanced in the postseason. So you, you had that kind of hanging over you. This is a team that had started awful, 19-31. and 31. There were rumblings about firing Davey Martinez. Um, there were a lot of people that were saying, okay, well, you, you, you thought you might could survive without Bryce Harper. Obviously, you cannot. And then right there in, in the division is a Braves team that looked very, very good. So you knew the division was going to be difficult to win with a mediocre record, um, even if you were too able to get a mediocre record. Um, the, the wild card you know, would have been your only hope, and you've never advanced to the postseason. I mean, it didn't look like this team was going anywhere. And this, the switch just flipped on Memorial Day. Best team in baseball since Memorial Day. I'm sure people have seen that stat for the yeah. few that are actually watching this team in the World Series. But, um, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's crazy. It is just it's absolutely crazy the way this team flipped the switch. And then once they've hit postseason, they put it in another gear. And uh, it's, it's been amazing to watch. Thank God. <laughs> so, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a real Nationals fan. I do like Davey Martinez. He was uh, the Cubs bench coach in 15, 16, and 17, and a couple of those years were, were pretty magical years fans, years for Cubs fans. Um, three straight years to the NLCS, including a World Series title. And Davey Martinez, I think, was a big part of it. So I, I have a soft spot for him. Uh, I love this Soto kid. God, he's fun to watch. I mean, he's unbelievable. Uh, and I watched the Nationals a lot over the last few years because I had hoped the Cubs would get Bryce Harper, if I'm being completely honest. And I, and I like Harper. I still like Harper. I think he's a great player. But um, the, so the Nationals, they played the Brewers in that wild card game. And I'm thinking, because the Brewers, if I recall correctly, just jumped out to a 2 nothing lead. I think Yasmani Grandel oh, yeah, hit, hit yeah. a home run. I thought, oh, God, it's going to be the Brewers. It's going to be the Brewers and the Cardinals and the NLCS, uh-huh. and I'm not going to be able to stand it. And and, uh, and and then the Nationals came back and won. And I was like, oh, that's good. They'll, they'll get killed by the Dodgers. And I don't hate the Dodgers the way that I hate the Cardinals. Because I don't think I can hate anything the way that I hate the Cardinals. <laughs> but I don't like the Dodgers. I, I mean, I, I don't find them lovable at all. Um, 
you know, I watch a lot of West Coast baseball because I'll stay up late working on stuff and I turn it on and I, I can watch the Angels. They're palatable and, and I, I kind of like watching the Mariners sometimes and the A's are a cute story and uh, stuff like that. The Padres has some good young players and my son really likes Fernando Tatis Jr. and stuff. So anyway, I watch those teams. I, I just don't like the Dodgers. Yeah. And I was fearful. I, I was I was I was fearful about uh, a, a Nationals. Uh, Dodgers series and to the point where when it looked like the Dodgers were going to put the thing away I went ahead and broke out my Dodgers jersey that I have and uh, I was I was prepared to fully embrace Dodger fandom I tweeted it and I woke up the next morning Ryan and I saw that the uh, the Nationals had come back and beaten the Dodgers and I, I remember texting you congratulations what the hell happened and ever since then, I've, I've been a Nationals fan. I ordered the hat. I've, I've got the hat right here in my hand right now. And I'm not taking any credit. But i got to tell you, this brief two-week ride, they eliminated the Cardinals. Oh, my God. They swept the Cardinals. Oh, it's beautiful. 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 And now they're beating an Astro team that has uh, essentially advocated uh, domestic abuse. And and like I said on the on the show today, the Nationals are doing the Lord's work. And and I will uh, I will hop off the bandwagon as soon as this is over. I will I will not I will not uh, try to do anything to detract from people like you who will have earned the right to spray champagne all over yourself. But I will be happy for you. I'll go back to my to my lifelong true Cub fandom. But I will do so. With us, if assuming the Nationals can finish this off, I will do so with a, a soft spot for for your team. Well, you're welcomed on any bandwagon there might be. There are very few of us. In fact, you know, I would imagine most of your podcast listeners um, probably, if they stop right now and say, "What Nationals fans do I know?" <laughs> uh, there aren't many. So uh, you, you know, it is a it is a very small slice of America that is excited about this. Unless you just absolutely hate the Astros, or you only pull for the National League team for whatever reason. But you know, it was crazy, really. And the part you missed when you went to bed in that Game Five against the Dodgers were, were back to back home runs by Anthony Rendon and and Juan Soto off Clayton Kershaw. And that is obviously the turning point for this whole thing. I mean, you know, without those, that series is over, the Dodgers go on and probably, I would imagine, beat the Cardinals as well, maybe sweep them, I don't know. And it would be Dodgers-Astros right now, which is what I think a lot of people thought you were going to see. Yeah, but for sure. When, when I mentioned flipping a switch on Memorial Day, then flipping another switch in my season, that switch was flipped um, with those home runs. And this has not been the same team since then. I mean, pitching, fielding, I mean, everything since those two home runs, it was almost as if that said to them, okay, we're, we're not the same franchise that has bowed out of all these postseason series when we were the better team. Uh, had home field advantage. You know, we were, we're not that same franchise anymore. We're not the same franchise that, you know, hit the Grand Slam to beat the Cubs in Wrigley only to come back home and lose to the Cubs in, in D.C. You know, this is different. It, it was almost like they – they realize they can win a series now. And boy, since then, they have just been an absolute steamroller. I mean, like, playing like they, they've never played in my entire... Well, I've been a fan since day one of the franchise, so I've never seen them play like this. I mean, this you is know just, what's funny, though? This is, is just dominant. You say that, and, and you're you're falling victim here a little bit to being a fan where you see the... the when you watch every game the way that I know you watch a lot of Nationals games over the course of the year, the way, yeah, I, the yeah, way yeah. I watch the Cubs, you see the warts. You see the flaws, and you kind of get focused on them. When I saw – I can't remember if it was late August or early September when it was the Cubs and Nats had a four-game series at Wrigley. 
and I can't remember, it was a three or four. The Nationals won at least three of the four, or they might have swept the series. I can't remember, but I remember watching that series, and the Nationals, uh, it was during a stretch where the Cubs were actually playing pretty well, and the Cubs were pitching the ball pretty well, and the Nationals would just foul pitches off. Foul pitches off. They, yeah. they wore pitchers out, and they got into the bullpen, and they won games late, and and they, they played with some swagger. And I remember telling my son, it had to have been, it had to have been August because I want to say it was the weekend that Campbell was. She had been at Arkansas, and it was bid weekend because he and I were in Jackson, Tennessee, for a soccer tournament, and we were listening to it. And on the way back, and I remember saying, "Man, I wouldn't want to play this team in the postseason the way their at bats are." And that's exactly yeah. what it's exactly what they've done in the playoffs. They've they've spoiled some really good pitchers. I mean, I, I don't like to give a lot of credit to people that wear the little birdies on their shirts. I just don't. But uh, Flaherty's a good pitcher, and Wainwright's a good pitcher, and uh, damn, Garrett Cole's a stud, and uh, Justin Verlander's a first ballot Hall of Famer who's who's had a great year. And, and I mean, they, it's not like they're beating chopped liver right now. No, they're not. And I, and I'll tell you, it's, you know, that's an old team. I mean, this is, you know, it's got some years on it. Soto's young, Trey Turner's still pretty young. Anthony Redone's, you know, kind of, you know, he's still young, I guess he's about to get his big deal, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty old team really. When you consider Ryan Zimmerman and Suzuki and Howie Kendrick, I mean, those guys have been in the league a long time, but what it has created is a really, like you said, a really disciplined team. I mean, Rendon, that's one thing I've always marveled about, his eye at the plate. I mean, that guy rarely swings at a ball. I mean, almost never swings at a ball. And he can get down he can get down 0-2 and work a walk out of it better than anybody you've ever seen. And, you know, Howie Kendrick's just a professional hitter. I mean, the guy's just, yeah. uh, he's, a, he's a good hitter. Um, Ryan Zimmerman, who is the most beloved national of all time, is you know he's just a, he's just a professional hitter. I mean, you do have a lot of those guys, and and I do think that makes a difference, especially in postseason baseball, because the old postseason baseball saying is just put the ball in play, right? Just put the ball in play, and crazy things happen. And I think they've done a really good job of doing that. So yeah, it is. It's you're right. I'm probably like most fans. I see the works more than I see the beauty. And um, th- this team, I don't know when they when they got in the Brewers series. They had been kind of playing playoff baseball for a couple weeks, and had been playing pretty well. So I felt pretty good about that. And I thought, you know, with the Dodgers, you got a, at least you got a chance. Um, but once they got past the Dodgers, I thought, geez, if you can beat the Dodgers, you can sure beat the Cardinals. Um, I didn't feel necessarily that way about the Astros. I, I cannot lie to you. I am as shocked as anyone that it's 2-0 right now. So hopefully we can find two more somewhere. Um, but I, I, I am thrilled beyond belief to be heading back to D.C. 2-0. A little bit of news. It's not really breaking news on a podcast. We'll touch on it real quick. And then we're going to get to football in a second. I do want to get kind of your thoughts on where the you see the rest of the series going. But the Astros have fired uh, uh, Taubman, the 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 Brandon wow. Taubman. Yeah, they have they have fired him today uh, after. Wow, because they backed him initially. They basically said the reporters were lying. They I have, know they didn't basically say that they out and out said that the reporters were lying about it. Yeah, the, it reads, our initial investigation led us to believe that Brandon Taubman's inappropriate comments were not directed toward any reporter. We were wrong. We sincerely apologize to Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated, and to all individuals who witnessed the incident or were offended by the inappropriate conduct. The Astros in no way intended to minimize the issues related to domestic violence. Our initial belief was based on witness, witness statements about the incident. Subsequent interviews have revealed 
revealed that Taubman's inappropriate comments were, in fact, directed toward one or more reporters. Accordingly, we have terminated Brandon Taubman's employment with the Houston Astros. His conduct does not reflect the values of our organization, and we believe this is the most appropriate course of action. They had to have been livid. Livid that going into the World Series, this was the story. And Major League Baseball had to be had to be furious, too. And what an idiotic thing to do. I mean, I don't even understand why you do that. I mean, look. Bizarre. Um, it, it really is. I mean, you, you can you, you can say, oh, I'm trying to give a guy a second chance or thing. But you just you can't. There can't be an expectation that people aren't going to, A, report on that topic, and, B, continue to remember that it happened. Well, I mean, I mean I'll, you, I'll give you can't an, just forget that that happened. I'll give you an example. Uh, Addison Russell, the infielder for the Cubs, who – it's been well documented his situation with domestic violence and the Cubs. I think most everyone would agree if if you subscribe to the second chance theory. And for the record, I don't like him being on the team. I wish yeah. I wish he were not a Cub. Um, that said, I think most people would agree that the way the Cubs have handled it from a PR standpoint and all of those things is probably as well as you can handle it with the exception of Joe Madden at one point saying something really stupid. But for the most part, the, the Theo Epstein and the organization have handled it with care and they've they've reached out to his his ex-wife. They've maintained contact with her. They All those things. Uh, that being said, there's always criticism of Addison Russell. I mean, I've been at Wrigley when Addison yeah. Russell's introduced and – you know, you know, hitting seventh, the shortstop, number 27, Addison Russell. And normally Wrigley's pretty happy, cheery for everybody. And here's some stuff. And the, the, Cubs, yeah. the Cubs know you can never push back. It is what it is. You, eat, no. you can't yeah. push back. I mean, if you're the Yankees, you can't push back on Araldis Chapman. You can't. You just can't. And, and if you're the Astros, you can't push back on Osuna. And on a night where Osuna had blown the save, LeMahieu hits the home run. I mean, if, if the Yankees go on to win that game, Osuna's blowing of the save creates a game seven and, and is the storyline that night. He got bailed out by uh, Altuve hitting the home run off Chapman, ironically. And so Altuve's the hero. And it, it, it no one was even in there interviewing Osuna. For him to say what he said was just mind-numbingly stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it made no sense whatsoever. None. And... You know, again, if, if his intent were, and we may never know his intent, I don't know that he'll do an interview saying this is my intent, but if his intent were to direct it at someone that was simply wearing, you know, a, a colored bracelet that signifies her support of those that have endured domestic violence, and I don't know the story behind that, perhaps this person had or had a family member that had been a victim of domestic violence, and you could certainly understand them showing support for that. For, for you just to target them? Uh, because that, that that's the thing that they're showing support for those that have have endured that and for you to target them uh, that that is just so incredibly bizarre yeah, in that situation it, especially in that environment i mean you're in a celebratory locker room doing that that just makes no sense whatsoever. yeah and they were just bystanders they were actually sort of waiting for the celebration to die down a little bit so that they could talk to some of the Astros to start kind of putting together some World Series right. content. I mean, that's they were, you know, they were people yeah. who primarily covered the Yankees and they had gotten what they needed from the Yankees clubhouse, which was a completely different scene than the Astros clubhouse and they were sort of letting it die down a little bit. And anyway, uh, 
It's 2-0. Game three is Friday. Game four is Saturday. I'm sure you are hoping there is no Sunday game. Game five would be Sunday if it's necessary, and then six and seven would be Tuesday and Wednesday if necessary. How far does the series go, and do you get to uncork the champagne, and how much champagne do you have waiting in the fridge right now? Well, i got to restock. I, I burned through mine uh, after the Dodgers win, so we're, we're going to go to the store and restock. I mean, that's the time here. Um, you know, I'd love to obviously see it one in Washington. The interesting thing is the Nationals could get game three tomorrow night, um, which Anabel Sanchez is going his last outing was darn near a no-hitter in the NLCS. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, and, it, and it's him against Grinky, who has been a mixed bag. I mean, this is, this is far from vintage Grinky. Yeah. Zach Grinky. If you can get to game four, all of a sudden, A.J. Hinch has a mess on his hands because the initial plan, I think, not ever anticipating that you'd be down 0-3 in a game four, was to have a bullpen start. And I don't know about you, Neil, but I don't see any way you could have a bullpen start with your season on the line, could you? I mean, no. you've got to bring Derek Cole back on short rest. You'd have to hand the ball to Cole on short rest, and if you're the Nationals, you just stick with your plan and whatever it is. That yeah, you go Patrick Corbin. You yeah. go Corbin, and and you hope that maybe he's you know because he he didn't throw a whole lot in game one, and you go with Corbin, and you just one inning. Yeah, you just stick there and you prepare in the event that you don't get it to hand the ball to Max Scherzer in game five in Washington, and you still have Strasburg for game six on full rest, and. If you got that far, you still have Sanchez in Game 7 on full rest with everybody who would be available in the bullpen. That that has to be your plan. And uh, Look, I, if Houston doesn't win tomorrow night, they're not winning the series. They're, you're not you're just not uh, coming no back. No way. Not down to three. I will give you a piece of advice. As I, it's shocking that a Cub fan can give celebratory advice to a, a, a any other fan of anything ever. So the night, <laughs> the night that the Cubs won the World Series, uh, I started drinking shortly before Dexter Fowler's leadoff home run off of uh, right off of Corey Kluber, and I was doing fine. Uh-huh. I was doing fine. That uh, I, I went through the majority of a fifth of Baker's. Still to this day, I really can't drink Baker's because of that experience. Regardless, mm. uh, that night I had multiple bottles of champagne prepared in case. And I don't know if you remember the 10th inning as vividly as I do, but in the 10th inning, uh, C.J. Edwards, Carl Edwards came in and he uh, he struck out the leadoff hitter. He got the second hitter to hit a ground ball to the shortstop, Addison Russell, who threw over to Rizzo for the second out of the inning. The Cubs were now one out away from the World Series, and I made the mistake of getting the bottles prepared Oh my! A Cubs fan. I know if a Yankees fan did this, it'd be one thing. But a Cubs fan. I was. I blame it on the alcohol. I already had plenty of it in my system, yeah. and I thought we've got this. And with two outs, I start getting the bottles prepared. And as you may or may not remember, a walk, a uh, stolen base, a single that drove in a run, and then a pitching change later. The uh, the Indians brought the winning run to the plate in the form of Michael Martinez, and I remember thinking that if he hits a home run right here, this is all my fault, and I don't know what happens. I probably you and I are probably not having this conversation right now because I don't I, <laughs> I don't know what would have happened to me. But anyway, uh, just let 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 the final out get made unless it's like fourteen to one or something. Let let the out get made and then then do your preparatory or have somebody else prepare it without telling you that it's being prepared yeah, yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I, I, I may not rush it. I may not rush it. We may just take our time and celebrate. It, it doesn't have to be the most immediate thing. So, you so can, that, that's probably going to be my plan. I appreciate the advice. Do they get it or not? I think they do. I mean, you know, you've been getting home field now. Now you've given yourself actually home field. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, this, I hope I don't regret these words. But, yeah, I think with the way the pitching is set up now and the way the Nationals are hitting the ball and the confidence. And I'll tell you another thing, um, and I assume you've watched both games, or at least a large part of both games. Yeah, I have. The 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 Astros look like an extremely tight team, and yeah. the Nationals could not be any looser. I mean, they, you know, the parties, the parties in the dugout and things like that, they just could not be any looser. So, yeah, I think the Nationals, I think they'll win this. I'm, I'm not ready to make any sort of game number prediction, but, but I think they win this. I do hope, obviously, for the fans that have never seen this, they're uh, somehow managing to do it in, in D.C. while they're there. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and I will I will be happy for you when it happens. All right, we've, we've talked baseball. We've got about 20 minutes left. Let's talk some football. Obviously, the big game sure. that everyone is pointing to is, is Alabama-LSU. It's about, I don't know, not my math is not good. Sixteen days away or so. Um, oh, you're close. Yeah. Um, is do we get to that game? Everybody undefeated, or or is is there any chance at all that LSU stumbles with Auburn, or or we're headed there? Um, so you you don't think Alabama could stumble to Arkansas? Was that your suggestion there? I think there's a chance that Arkansas <laughs> covers a thirty-four and a half point line, but that's about as far as I'm willing to go. Okay. Actually, yeah, actually, I did like I I did like Houston Nuts. He was asked, what would your pregame speech be? And, and he sort of nailed it. I thought, yeah, you know what? That's exactly what I think you should tell your team going into a into an impossible game in Tuscaloosa. Is, hey, they've got their backup quarterback. Let's just see if by chance by chance we can shake him and, and let's just go 100 miles an hour and see what happens. And one of two things will happen. We either get back on the bus and head home or we'll shock the world. And I thought, yeah, it's exactly what you should say. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's what Chad Morris will say. No, no. What do you got to lose? Um, look, Auburn. After watching what they did at Florida, it is really difficult to look at that and say, "Yeah, they can go to Tiger Stadium and win this game." LSU is a better team. It's you know equal to, if not more difficult, environment that they'll face at Tiger Stadium. And Bo Nix and the Auburn offense did not handle that well at all. Now, the defense did. They played very well in that game, but now you've got to play a much better offense. I mean, LSU's offense is much better than Florida's. Uh, a much better quarterback, much more talented receivers. So, um, you know, you, if, you, if you make that comparison there, and that was really, it's, I guess, you know, the best team Auburn has played, is assuming you think Florida is better than Oregon. I think Oregon's a really good team, but, you know, on the road, it's the most like scenario that Auburn has faced to what they will see Saturday night or Saturday afternoon. So I, you know, having watched that, it just you don't see a great path to victory for Auburn. Um, you know, and, and when you consider the fact that Ruby Whitlow, Auburn's best running back, was healthy for that Florida game, and they still struggled to run the football effectively. Now he's out, and they haven't really established a guy that is the go-to guy. So. You know, if there, if, there, if there were four minutes left and you've got the lead, you need to go to your four-minute offense and have a back grind it out. I don't even know that Auburn knows who that is. Um, they may have an idea, but he certainly hasn't proven he can be that. So, you know, there are a lot of questions about um, about this this offense going into this game. And to me, the run game is the biggest. Even the Bo Nix played horribly against Florida. And if he plays that way again, they will get run out of the stadium very quickly. Um, to me, the biggest concern is the run game, Neil, because 
if you're Auburn, you've got to find a way to keep that LSU offense on the sideline and, and give your defense some time to rest so they're not out there for 34, 35 minutes of game time against that LSU offense. I think I told you this after week one. I watched LSU that night for some reason. Uh, it was one of those deals where, you know, it's early in the season and you're wanting to kind of watch everybody. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I got stuck yeah. on LSU. And I don't, I, I know they weren't playing anybody, but there was something about the way they were playing that night, especially just the way their offense looked, that I thought, wow, man, if they can kind of keep this style of play, they've got the weapons. And to Ed Orgeron's everlasting credit, to this point in the season, and we're far enough in, I think you can give him some credit at least. He has stuck to that system, and, and it has worked, and they have been a a dynamic offensive team. The only teams in the country probably that could compare themselves offensively would be Alabama and Ohio State and maybe Oklahoma. Um, they've looked the part all year. They looked the part of, of a team that could go into, into Tuscaloosa and, and go toe-to-toe with Alabama, and, and frankly – I think LSU has a legitimate chance to win that game, assuming that they're healthy when they get there. Is is that a game that, assuming Tua is healthy and uh, that LSU is healthy, is that a game that you see as the track meet that we're all sort of anticipating it to be, or or are we underestimating one of the two defenses? You know, um, it's funny because, I don't know about you, but let me compare this to Oklahoma, Texas, because it had a similar setup, right? You've got two offenses, the defenses, you know, have been mixed at best. You had seen Texas and LSU kind of run up and down the field. You hadn't seen Oklahoma play anybody, but you remember their defense from last year. Um, and you and you kind of thought that was going to be a track meet going in, and then they're late in the first half. It's seven to nothing. You're like, what is going on here? So sometimes I think when you think it's going to be one thing, you, you get the opposite a lot. It's hard to watch these two teams though, and the way their offenses with a healthy two a tongue of law go up and down the field almost at will on anybody they play and not think that it's at least going to be a game that's played in the mid to high 30s, which for this series is it's an offensive shootout. I mean, this series is normally played, um, you know, in the teens or, or low 20s. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think if they can get in the mid to high 30s, that is a shootout in this series. While a 35-31 score might not blow most people's socks off, it, with the history of this series, that would be an absolute track meet. So, you know, a track meet by most standards in the 40s, no, I don't think you're going to get that. But you could get a game played in the 30s. And I think I think for the Alabama-LSU game, that's a very high-scoring game. Um, we've talked about this before, and, and it'll be the, the, the big storyline. In your opinion, the loser of, of Alabama-LSU, assuming that it doesn't lose again, whether it's Alabama or LSU, they run the table, the other one goes to the SEC championship game, and probably in this scenario wins it. Is this game going to be hyped up to be more than it should be because both teams are going to the playoff anyway? Well, um, you know, I think it's a tough sell for Alabama if they lose this. You know, if LSU loses it and it's a good game, a close game, and there's, there's you know, the, the fourth spot in the playoffs is very much up in the air. There's not an obvious team. You can look at LSU and say, all right, this team went to Texas. They went to Alabama. They played Florida at home. They played Auburn at home. Um, their only loss was a tight game at Alabama. This is obviously a really good football team. Now, if it's Alabama and you say, yeah, they lost at home to LSU. Yeah, sure, it was a tight game, but they lost at home. All right, well, let's look at the rest of their good wins. Um, there, there may not be a top 25 win in that bunch. 
I mean, you, you, you look at Alabama's wins right now, Neil, and you know, let's assume in, in your scenario they've beaten Auburn. Well, if Auburn loses to LSU this week, and if they lose to Georgia, which, by the way, the way Georgia's playing right now, that is fair from a given. I think that line, I saw yesterday, that line's going to like one and a half in Vegas. So it's, it's very much approaching a, a pick It's a very much toss-up game. But let's just assume for purposes of this discussion, Auburn loses that game as well. Auburn probably, after they lose the Iron Bowl, wouldn't be a ranked team. Uh, so you're, you're going to have a hard time, I think, beyond just saying, hey, this is Alabama. We've seen them. When they get in this playoff, we've, we've seen that they belong. We're, we're judging this based on their body of work over the last four or five years. I don't think the committee can stand up and say that. I think it would be very, very difficult to justify putting a one-loss, if the one-loss is LSU, a one-loss Alabama team in this because the only quality team they have played all season would be a loss. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, I think it's one of those things everybody talks about the league, and, and the top of the league is indeed very good. But, you know, I do this thing every week where I rank the SEC, and it's been pretty easy. You know, it's LSU or Alabama 1-2, and then it's, you know, Georgia, Florida, Auburn 3-4-5 in some order, no matter what you think. And then there's this fall. And it's, yeah. you know, it's A&M, yeah. kind of, you know, but I watched A&M here last week. They're, they're, they're fine. There's nothing special about Texas A&M. No, nah, they're not great. They're, and, they're very average. And then there's this other fall. Like Missouri has its moments. But, I mean, come on, they lost to Vanderbilt. And then you've got all yeah. – Mississippi State's not a good team. Ole Miss is not a good team. Kentucky's not a good team. Arkansas's horrible. Ten- Kentucky's, Tennessee's bad. Kentucky's playing a wide receiver. Yeah, Kentucky's yeah. playing a wide receiver quarterback right now. Yeah. And Carolina had a moment, but – that's that's really kind of all it was, and, and and what Carolina may have done is bailed out Gus Malzahn a little bit because Carolina may very well have exposed Georgia to the point where Auburn beats them at home, and then Auburn's not firing Gus Malzahn, and we're not even having that conversation. And but yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, they don't really have any real se- sexy wins on their belt. Alabama doesn't. I, I don't know. It's and there, there is an anti-SEC sentiment out there, and I don't really blame people for it. You know, I mean, they, they, no one wants to see two. No one wants to see three SEC teams in the playoff, and really nobody wants to see two SEC teams in the playoff. They want to see one, and they want to see probably Ohio State and Clemson, and then probably Oklahoma, assuming they don't screw it up. And that's probably what the networks want, and everything else too. Yeah. I think you're right. I don't think there is an appetite for two SEC teams nationally. Obviously, there is regionally. But I think beyond that, you, you've got to think, these, these, first of all, the committee people are human. So they're, they're naturally going to look at Alabama differently than they'll look at Alabama and Clemson differently than most teams because they have seen them. They have seen them in this playoff. And when they're there, by and large, they look like they belong, right? So it is hard to ignore that. It's hard just to tear the name off the jersey and say, you know, I, I'm just going to ignore that. And the other thing that I think humans on this committee would do would, would be sensitive to the fact that there are a lot of people watching us and there are a lot of people thinking we give Southern teams the benefit of the doubt. And Alabama has given us, if they lose this game to LSU, they've given us every reason to leave them out. where We don't even really have to defend it because they're not going to be a conference champion and they're not going to have beaten anyone of note. So this is our chance to, as a committee, say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're open to everyone. We're not just going to throw Alabama in there because it's a name on a jersey and it's a team that you know just about always wins it when they're in there. 
we're, we're, we're willing to put other teams in. So I, I think Alabama would be on some very, very thin ice with an LSU loss. I just, without LSU falling apart and letting Alabama back in the SEC championship game, I, I, don't know, I don't know how Alabama does that. Is it just injuries on the defense, or is this the – and I use this term very cautiously. Is it the first sign of a, of a crack in the armor with, with Alabama that, you know, they've – don't get me wrong. I mean, they're the preeminent football program in the country over the past decade plus, and there's nothing changing that with the possible exception of Clemson having a say in it. But Clemson's won some recruiting battles. Georgia's won some recruiting battles. LSU just won a big recruiting battle. They're, Alabama's not dominating completely the recruiting la- landscape the way that it had for a long time. Is is that beginning to sort of show with some injuries? Well, I, I think the injuries are huge now. Um, Alabama lost both their inside linebackers. Um, Dylan Moses, who was going to be, you know, an All-American type player. He was an All-American all-conference candidate. So, you know, he was looked at as being one of the best inside linebackers, one of the best middle linebackers in the country. And then you had a senior, a fifth-year senior, Josh McMillan, who had played a ton in reserves and had as, about as much experience a first-time starter could have. So you were actually in pretty good shape there. They were worried about the depth kind of behind them, you know, just rotating guys in. Well, all of a sudden, now you're having to start those guys. And and they have progressed tremendously. But, you know, those injuries are huge. And then you've also had an injury to LeBron Ray, um, who has been absent for a large part of the season from the defense front, who they really, really liked and thought he was going to be a, a pass-rushing force on this team. Um, so you've had three really, really significant injuries on that defense. I think one other thing, and this wasn't an option you presented, but it is something that I think has hurt LSU too, but it's hurt Alabama, is the speed with which Alabama scores. Your defense is right back out on the field a lot. And I'm not saying Alabama has throttled back their offense, but two the world has been much better this year about throwing the intermediate ball, not always hitting the home run. Look, I mean, a lot of times that home run is available almost on any play, any pass play Alabama runs. And while that is beneficial to the scoreboard and you're not going to lose games doing it, it does put your defense out there a lot and it exposes your defense, you know, to teams holding the ball for long periods of time and teams running off drives on you. And I think that's what you've seen. Uh, the margins of victory are still there. They're still about what they've always been in the seven But teams are scoring more on Alabama. Uh, I, I think it's some injury. I think it's some how fast your offense scores. And then Pete Golding, is still a pretty young defensive coordinator. This is his first big-time job like this. So, you know, this is not Kirby Smart or Jeremy Pruitt that is, that is coordinating this defense. Last thing. Uh, you mentioned Pete Golding. I'll use that as a transition. Uh, Matt Luke is now 3-10 and 10 in his last 13. It's been a struggle. They've lost a lot of close games. They've lost a lot of games that, that, that frankly, they look like they sort of beat themselves a little bit. People are frustrated. I don't know how realistic it is or isn't that a change could happen. Right now, Ole Miss doesn't have an athletics director. I don't really know. Pete Golding is one of the names that comes up. So we'll, we'll finish here. In your opinion, uh, when you look at it from the outside looking in, what do, you, what do you think will happen with Ole Miss? What do you think should happen with Ole Miss? And if they were to head down the, the road of change, whether it's now or a year from now, how viable of a candidate would a guy like Pete Golding be, a guy who's got Mississippi ties, he's married to a girl from Oxford? I mean, there's some there's some connection there, as you remember from uh, last year during the defensive coordinator stuff. Well, 
a couple things. Number one, while this is always attractive, this is the danger of hiring one of your own, isn't it? I mean, Alabama saw this. You saw this when Alabama hired Mike Shula. Um, and, and you're seeing it, I think, to a certain extent with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. When you hire one of your own and they don't work, it, it becomes a tricky situation. And I don't know, you, you live through it living over here. I don't know if you see some of that same setup with the Matt Luke that you saw with Mike Shula. Um, I mean, it's difficult, Neil, to get rid of those guys. You, you walk on some really thin ice. And Matt Luke is as old Miss as they come, isn't he? So, yeah. I mean, I, 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 think that, I think that becomes a tricky situation, a really tricky situation. Um, so, so, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I were whoever becomes the athletics director at Ole Miss. I mean, that's tough for a guy to come right in first day on the job or first few weeks on the job and have to fire – the guy that played football at your place has dedicated basically his entire professional life to your place. I mean, that's pretty tough. So I, I think that's an extremely tricky situation. I wonder, and I would ask you this, you know, they're probably not going to go to a bowl game unless they pull some stunners here. But yeah, they're not how much would a win in the – yeah, yeah. How much would a win in the Egg Bowl cover that up, though? And that's how he got the job was by winning the Egg Bowl. I mean, yeah, he, uh, he can win it. Here's, the, here's their problem, Ryan. Okay, here's their deal, and I've told this to a number of people. Number one, it would help – because people can always look at it objectively a month out and go, well, no, you know, state's bad, whatever, whatever. The emotion of that game kicks in, and, and you win it, and it's euphoric, and you run around with the, the the trophy and stuff, and people get a high off of it that doesn't wear off for a few days, and then by then people say, oh, let's give him some more time. Here's their problem in a nutshell. They're, it's why I think ultimately they should ride it out, because the first seven games next season include – a neutral site game against Baylor, a home game against Alabama. I might I might have these a little wrong. It's 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 Baylor and then it's Southeast Missouri State. I think it's Alabama at home, at LSU, Auburn at home, at Vanderbilt, Florida at home. Oh my gosh. Are so you kidding me? so you have seven games there, right? Where if at the end of those seven games, if you're two and five, well you've it's over. And you could easily yeah. be two and five, but if you're three and <laughs> if and if you're worse than two and five, it's probably a midseason change. If if you are three and four, that means you obviously beat one of those teams. And if you're four and three, well, you beat two of those teams. So maybe you beat Baylor and you beat Auburn, for example. I don't know whoever it means you you won two of those games, and now you're talking about hey, this team could win eight games. They've solved it. Here we are. They're off on a roll. It's why I think there would be no controversy at the at that point next season because you'd say, "Hey, it's right there. The proof's in the pudding. They either got it done or they didn't get it done." Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And to answer your question, I'll keep going. I'm very impressed with him. Now, look when you when you when when the st- stats. Are, are compared, people are going to look at him and say, boy, in the Saban era, he's he's not had the best defense. And he won't have. In fact, statistically, he will probably have one of the worst. I don't think it's a fair judgment of him. I, I spent some time around him. I've actually seen him um, a couple of, uh, was it this spring or last spring? I, I forget. I think it was last spring. Yeah, it was last spring. Um, each year, Alabama invites certain members of the media to um, just kind of participate in the A-Day game behind the scenes. You get to go in the locker room, kind of watch how they prepare for a 
start of a game. You stand on the sidelines. You can go in any of the huddles you want to. You know, you've got carte blanche. It's really cool that they do that, and it's just a way for the media to kind of see, you know, you cover them on a day-to-day basis just to kind of see how it works. And uh, I did that two springs ago, and Pete Golding was the coordinator for the team I was with. And just observing him in the huddles and in the locker room, I could not have been more impressed with him. Now, look, does that mean he's going to be a great head coach? I don't know, but I think he's a, I think he's a charismatic guy. I think he's obviously, you know, Nick Saban didn't have to hire him. Nick Saban wasn't hiring a hot name. Nick Saban went and found this guy coaching in Texas, San Antonio, and hired him. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to ask yourself, you say what you want about Nick Saban, you love him or hate him, I think the guy probably can identify a pretty good football coach and a good recruiter. It's one of the things so, that has made him great. Frankly, it's it's not his yeah. it's not his yeah. X and O's and stuff. I mean, I'm sure he's a very good X and O coach, but that's not. I mean, there's there that's lots of X and O coaches. What makes him great is his ability to evaluate people. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think you have to say, okay, well, he didn't go hire this guy from Notre Dame or Michigan or LSU or or any. He went hire this guy from UTSA. So he saw something in this guy that he really really liked. And let me just say this too. Um, as the as the defense has struggled a little bit, you know, he's been asked a couple times about Pete Golding. He continues to sing his praise. I think he very much likes him. So I think that's a heck of an endorsement there. So I, I you know, I don't know who all would be up for an Ole Miss job, but I think you could do a lot worse than Pete Golding for sure. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate the time so much. Uh, good luck to your Nationals, and uh, hopefully the next time we talk, you're uh, you're wearing some some World Series championship gear, and you should indeed get it. Get a lot of it. Wear it proudly because you never know when you get back. Absolutely, and since I'm a Dolphins fan in the NFL, you never know when your other team can win anything, right? Yeah, so I, I didn't you even, may as well celebrate this one as much as possible. I figured we'd save the Dolphins stuff for another day. I wasn't going to bring you down. <laughs> I, I actually, believe it or not, I like the strategy. Um, I know it goes against any competitive bone in your body to tank, but in the NFL, how else are you going to get better at quarterback than having the first pick? So I, I like the strategy. We'll tease it for next time, but uh, Burrow might be having a, a say in who they t- I think they tank for Tua, but Burrow's probably turned some heads. Yeah, Herbert's not bad either. I watched him against Washington. I, I, I'm back on his bandwagon a little bit. Yeah, he's a good player. So, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of, yeah. A lot of choices. It'll be a good problem to have. All right, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you. Absolutely. All right, Neil, thank you. Our thanks to Ryan for his time today on the Beer Garden. The Beer Garden is also brought to you by Strategic Partners and Media. It's at SPM's a full-service advertising agency that works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. Look, here's why SPM's really good and different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, the editing, it's all done solely by their staff, crafted uniquely for their clients. And lastly... An Ole Miss grad and a Mississippian's a partner in the firm. So give them a call. See how great they are. It's Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Again, Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. That does it for this edition of the Beer Garden. Again, our thanks to the Oxford Crystal. Thanks to Clark Ford, to all of our sponsors, LBs, everybody for uh, taking care of us, for making this show possible. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Beer Garden. Like I said, the NBA is in full swing. NFL right around the halfway mark, the college season as we get into November. 
heading to the stretch drive. So a lot to get to. I'm not sure which direction we'll go next week, but we'll go some direction. Maybe we'll go in multiple directions. A lot to get to. Thanks for listening today. Again, thanks to Ryan Brown. Until next time, I'm Neil McCready. Take care.